Welcome to the Strategic Families Podcast, where we challenge families to be rooted in God's Word, energized with gospel-centered purpose, and activated on mission for His kingdom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Strategic Families Podcast. So last week we talked about wanting to give you some resources during the holidays, and today's episode is the first installment. So this episode features an interview with an incredibly gifted storyteller, Arnold Itriad, the author of excellent books on Advent, like Jotham's Journey, Tabitha's Travels, and others. And if you're not familiar with his work, I highly, highly recommend picking up one of his books. Trust me, you and your kids will absolutely love them. If you want to add purpose and fun to your celebration of Advent, or if you're even just getting started on celebrating Advent, his books are a fantastic resource. Our family has been through all of his Advent books, and it has been such a wonderful tradition for us each year. So this was a real treat for me, and I know you're going to love getting to know him. All right, enjoy. Well, I am privileged, and it is such an honor to have on our show today, author Arnold Itriade. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, I have been looking forward to this for a long time because to me and my family, you're not just uh, an author, but you're someone who has just tremendously blessed our family. We have loved your books. We have read them. We have used them as launching pads for conversations. So this is just a real privilege for me. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to share with all of us about your books and your work and what the Lord has done in your life and in your family. So by way of introduction, Arnold, why don't you just tell us who you are, where you live, uh, what you do, and a little about your family. I am a very old grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) Been around for many decades now. Um, I started in Seattle, lived half my life in Seattle, and was a police officer there for many years in the Seattle area. Also a youth pastor. Uh, grew up there, moved to Idaho about oh, 30, 30 some years ago because there's a, a university over here that I wanted to take a few some classes from. And here met my wife and we were eventually married here and raised our kids here and now our grandkids here. And in that time, I've, I've done many things. I've, I, I am a film producer and director. I'm a writer. Um, uh, as I said, I was a police officer, uh, but also a, a university professor. And I, for 20 years, I, I taught over here uh, in the, a, a film school and taught young people how to make movies. Done a lot of things, done a lot of things. It used to be a joke in our family. All my nieces and nephews would always ask, um, what does Uncle Arnie do? <laughs> and nobody ever really knew, including me. Uh, I've just had a very varied life. I, I determined very at a very young age that I was not going to have a boring life. And I was not going to let my, I saw my friends, even at a young age, I saw my friends going off in the direction of drugs and alcohol. And I thought, well, that seems like a really waste of time. So I decided that that was not going to be a part of my life. And I was going to go out and have fun. And and from a very, very young age, I wanted to to write and make movies. And mostly I want to write and make movies for Jesus. Mm. And uh, that's how I've spent my life. And it's led me lots of different places all over the world in lots of different experiences uh, that all go into my writing and have brought me to this place where I am a very old grandpa <laughs> with a few books behind me now and hopefully many more to come. Excellent. Oh, that's that's wonderful. 
my family knows you as the author of these amazing books that we're going to get into, these books for families, Jotham's Journey, Tabitha's Travels, and, and the like. But I wonder, and I think you touched on it a little bit, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of a background on why you started writing these books. What prompted them, and really, how did you arrive at the idea? I will answer that, but I'll, I'll start a little farther back. Uh, as I said, from the time I was 12, I wanted to be a writer, and I started writing my first book when I was 12. I wrote the first chapter and my mother tore it up and threw it away because it was about our family, all about our family. <laughs> uh, but from a very young age, that's I just had this love of story and I wanted to tell story. And I, I wrote, started and wrote several books uh, over my in my youth and, and my young adult years and never could quite get it right, could never get it, get a publisher interested in it uh, until uh, I'm. As I said, I met my wife here in Idaho, but when I met her, she was a widow with two little children and a tragic, tragic story. But we met and the moment I saw her, I knew she was the one I was going to marry. Mm. And then I found out she had two kids and I wasn't so sure about that. But uh, it took approximately seven tenths of a second after I met them to fall in love with them. <laughs> And from that moment on, uh, we, we dated for 18 months because I wanted to take it slow and make sure that this was not a traumatic experience for the kids. And we, we took it slow and built a relationship. But from, the very, from that very first moment at a, at a Dairy Queen, we were a family. And never once, never once in now well, 25 years uh, have we ever, have, have the kids ever referred to me as a stepfather or I as stepchildren? They, we are a family. They took my name. Of course, we don't, do not forget their birth father at all. Uh, he's very much a part of the conversation, but we are a complete family. And so before we actually got married, the, the Christmas before we got married, my wife came to me, I mean, my almost wife came to me and said, you know, it's been our family tradition to observe Advent every year. And I always look for a story to read or some kind of devotional to do. And, and this year, I just, I can't find anything that, that looks good. Would you like to try writing a little something? I said, well, sure. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, I've written many little things. And so we were both thinking there'd be this little pamphlet, little story, uh, no intention of writing a book or ever having it published or anything. And we were traveling up to a, a resort up here for to take the kids up to play in the snow that year. And I, I told her, you know, I, I've been thinking about it, but I just can't, can't come up with anything. And she said, well, why don't you just make it about a little boy back in Palestine? Bing, there it was. <laughs> and by the time we got to that resort, the story was in my head. And that was Jotham's journey. And so oh. I started writing it at, right at Advent <laughs> and read the first chapter to the kids that night. And they were overwhelmed. They just said, oh, please read more, read more, read more. <laughs> I said, no, you have to wait one chapter a night. And that's because I hadn't written the next chapter <laughs> yet. And I'm not sure to this day that they know that. <laughs> But I was writing that day by one and somewhere in the middle of Advent, we went to visit my parents. We were on an airplane at night and I was writing that night's chapter. <laughs> and when we got to my parents' house, I read the night. Oh, read another chapter. No, I can't. we're going to be disciplined here. <laughs> so that's how Jotham's journey was born. It was not a book I sat down to write. It was an, an absolute work of love for my children. Mm. And I think that's why. And, and then, then after Christmas, uh, of course, we read it through Christmas morning 
Uh, and it, I think it made a, a huge impact on all of us, not just the kids, on all of us that God had given us, shared with us this story. Um, but shortly after Christmas in January, I got a call from a publisher. And to this day, I have no idea how they found out about it. Publishers don't just call authors out of the blue and ask. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd been trying for, well, decades to get a book published. Never happened. But the work I wrote out of love for my kids, they called me for some reason and said, we'd like to look at it. I sent it to them. They said, we'd like to publish it. And there we are off and running. So that's how Jotham's journey came to be. It wasn't a, an intentional thing. It's not something I planned. It was something totally from God. Wow. So cool to hear the backstory and to see the fingerprints of God all over it. Sometimes we can't see yeah. it in the moment. And then we look back later and we go, Oh, Only yeah. you could have worked that out, Lord. You know, I'd love that. It's so obvious. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Wow, that is, that's beautiful. And I love that your wife was an integral part of that or your soon-to-be wife. And I love how God works through marriages. I can't tell you how many times I've experienced that in my own marriage where the Lord has used my wife in such amazing ways. But, well, that is awesome. So let's dive in here a little bit because I want to give listeners an idea of these books in case they haven't read your books or aren't familiar with it. The thing I absolutely love about these books is, well, there's so many things, but number one, it's the power of story. And I want to get into that and, and just get your take on that in a little bit, but such incredible stories, adventure filled, action packed, character development. I mean, it's just got everything in it. And I love that. And then at the end of each chapter, there's a devotional and it's something for not just kids. I mean, I know in some ways these are sort of designed for kids, but my wife and I have been so blessed by it. So this is not just for kids. And it just gives, you know, we were talking about before the interview, it just gives a great launching pad for deep, meaningful conversation. And not just meaningful, but Christ-centered conversation, a way for parents to engage their kids. And I just love how you weave that. And so it's not just a story. It's an opportunity for parents to be you know, intentional and purposeful with their kids. So, so yeah, just talk a little bit about that, like how you design these stories and weave the devotions in with it. You know, was that part of the plan from the beginning? And then just tell us a little bit about the characters in each of these stories too. I think it was part of the plan from the beginning, my plan. And, and I, I think God put that plan in my head. Uh, but I think it, it stretches back to when I was a youth pastor, I think. I took on the task of writing a daily devotional for all the teens in the youth group. And I'd publish them, you know, I'd write them as a monthly thing. And then, and I quickly discovered that kids don't like to read long theological discourses <laughs> <laughs> for some imagine. I, neither, neither do adults. So, and so I started writing adventure stories and they were just a, a few paragraphs long, but I'd write an adventure story using the kids in my youth group, naming them. And of course, then weave in, as you say, weave in the spiritual truth. And so I think I had a lot of practice with that early on when I was a youth pastor. And I think that kind of translated naturally into this. I can't remember if I actually thought about that. It just seemed right, I think. You know, you're writing it, it's for Advent. So it seems like, or, or perhaps my wife suggested it. I don't remember, but um, but it, it just seemed like a very good way to, to reach younger people and even adults. We love story. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but we love story. So, so that's, uh, you know, like, like I said, I can't, can't say for sure how that came about, but it just seemed right. And the kids responded to it so well. And of course, I, you know, I think I can remember that I'd read the story on each night of Advent 
And then when I got to the to the devotional, which is pretty short, uh, I'd see, you know, kind of, all right, we have to sit through this now. <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't make them any longer. Sure. But but often, as you say, it led to some very good discussions. And even then later, when we're putting kids to bed, they'd ask a question or even the next day they'd ask, you know, what, what about this? So it just seemed like a very good opportunity. I did design the story on purpose. I knew I wanted it. It, it had to be biblical. I'm telling the biblical story. So the biblical characters there. And in later, and when I got to the Easter story, the, the biblical characters, but especially Jesus, um, speak the way I think that they do in the Bible. I never put a word in Jesus' mouth. Some of the apostles, I might put some words in that I think they probably would have said based on what's in the text. But everybody else in the story is fictitious. So I wrote an, an adventure story and I made it an adventure. This I didn't set out, and I purposely did not set out to write a, a religious treata, treatise, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, that everybody has to speak about something religious every sentence. I weave it in every once in a while. The kid in the book asks a question of an adult, you know, well, what about the Messiah? What, you know, mm-hmm. what does that mean? You know, and the adult answers, and then we go on with the adventure. And there's lots of adventure, lots of things happening, as you know. And so that's that's kind of how I designed the stories. Um, Jotham, it starts out with Jotham being a naughty little boy. He's 10 years old, gets mad at his father because he's not getting his way. So he runs away from home. Only home is in the middle of the hills of Judea and in a, in a shepherd's camp, a, a Bedouin camp. And so when he runs away, he's off in the hills all by himself. And he's going to stay. He's stubborn. He's me. He's me. He really is me. He's <laughs> stubborn. He's stubborn. And he's not going to go home until his parents, you know, paid the price, you know. Well, by the time he gives up and goes back, they're gone. And as you know, they they thought he was dead. They, they found some evidence. And they thought it meant that he had been killed. And so they, as Bedouins do, they moved on. And so the, the entire story is him finding his way back to his parents. But along the way, he meets a lot of the biblical characters, but also non-biblical characters in, of the story and learns a lot of truth and comes to realize you know, his errors and the errors of his ways. Mm. And so that's the, the story of Jotham. You know? yeah. And he's very, very normal kid. One of the things I do when I write is I look back at, especially a historical character, I look back and, and at first I struggled with this. Well, how do I know what a 10-year-old was like 2,000 years ago? How can I know that? And then it suddenly dawned on me, and my wife was a fourth grade teacher at the time, and I was visiting her class. And I went, well, this is what a 10-year-old was like. They're no different. doesn't matter the culture. And as I've traveled around the world, I, I've realized that, that, you know, it doesn't matter the culture. doesn't matter the language. doesn't matter the, the time. Kids are kids. And so I wrote these kids, and I think that's one of the reasons they, they are so appealing. And I've been told that, that, that they act like kids, like the kids in our family. So, mm-hmm. so that was how Jotham came along. And then um, when Jotham's journey came out, it was very, very successful. I think it shocked everybody um, how, it, how well it did that first Christmas, especially me, because I didn't even know it was going to be a book. <laughs> Anyhow, so from the very beginning, it, you know, it had a huge impact and we're still waiting for the movie, we're hoping. But shortly after that, then the publisher called and said, you know, we'd like another one. I had never even thought about that. Okay, this is totally out of the blue. Guess I could take, you know, 
um, Bartholomew was one of the characters that Jotham, one of his friends that he meets in the story. And I said, I guess I could take Bartholomew and tell his story. So I did that. And, and Bartholomew isn't, isn't a naughty little boy. He's a cool kid. I like Jotham a lot. I mean, uh, Bartholomew, I like Jotham too, but Bartholomew is taken into slavery by the Romans and, and is separated from his family. And so he has an adventure and along the way meets Jotham. And then that came out and did well. And the publisher came and said, can we have another one? <laughs> okay, but this is the last one. So both of them had met Tabitha along the way in their adventures. So I said, well, let's go back and tell her story. And so I did that. So all of these, these stories are not sequels. They're not sequels of each other. And I think that's important for, for listeners to know sure. is that they're not, so you can read them in any order, probably best if you read them in the order they were written, but it doesn't have to be. You can read them in any order because they are intertwined stories. It's the same story told from three and now four different viewpoints. So Tabitha came out and, and everybody was happy. And they, the publisher asked me for another one. And I said, no, I'm done. This is a trilogy. This is a trilogy. And I said that for many years, this is a trilogy. And part of the reason was I couldn't think of what else to do. And then in 2015, 2014, they called and would you please write one more book for, <laughs> for Christmas? And I, I said, well, as a matter of fact, God put an idea in my head. And I said, okay. So then Ishtar came out, the, the son of one of the three wise men. And of course, we don't know that it was three wise men, but I, I tend to stick to the I tend to stick to our traditional views rather than make a big issue about how many wise men. I don't know. And nobody knows. We'll just make it the tradition. So, so Ishtar is the son of one of the, that, that he had already appeared in all the other three books. He, he is part of the story, but I had never thought about writing his story. So I thought, well, how interesting to write it from the perspective of someone who is not a Jew, not familiar with the, those religious mores at all. And, and bring in that side of the story. So that's how Ishtar came. And so he goes on a very long caravan ride with his father and uh, ends up in the Bible story as well. So that's in a very short nutshell, the, the stories. They're all 10 year olds old. I think the reason I like 10 year, old, 10 year olds, my wife said it best because she was a fourth grade teacher. She said, 10 year olds are old enough to be fun but not old enough, but also young enough to know that I'm still in charge. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, that's it. You know, 12, they're all already starting to be a little independent and eight, that's a little, young. so 10, perfect, perfect age. So that's why they're all 10 year olds and they are just kids and they have adventures. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. My family started with Tabitha's travels, I think. So that's good to know that they don't have to be in a particular order, but I have to say personally, I think Ishtar is my favorite Maybe yeah. that's because we read it most recently, but I just love the perspective, just what it might have looked like to travel with wise men. Like who were the wise men or who might they have been, yeah. you know, this royalty from a distant land. I mean, just, just such an amazing story and something that my family loved. And you know, like Good. I mentioned to you earlier, I mean, our kids are just at the end of every night. It doesn't matter how late it is. They're just, can we please read another? Can we please read another? And, and it's, you know, what a wonderful problem to have. Like, no yeah. kids, you know, we've got to, we've got to wait till tomorrow night. It's too late, but it has been such a joy to just kind of to, to get to know these characters. And one of the things I love about your work, and I think you touched on it when you said these are just normal kids, but you know, when you, when you stop in the devotions and you say, you know, things like, Hey, how do you think Jotham was feeling right then? He's in a difficult situation. How would you handle this situation? What do you think he needs to learn about the Lord in this situation? Questions like that. I mean, just so cool to have that guide as a parent 
And like I said, it's just a launching pad for some of the deeper spiritual truths that we want to communicate to our kids. I just, I love how you've weaved that. It's just, it's so amazing. And that leads me into what I wanted to ask about is just the power of story. I mean, that's obviously something you feel passionate about. You could have just come out with a, uh, you know, here are some things that parents should communicate to their kids. These are important lessons for Advent or for Lent or whatever. But can you talk about specifically how does the medium of story allow us and enable us to have those conversations more easily and to teach those truths more effectively? I have no idea. (laughs) And that is the honest truth. Uh, That is a very good question and one that we writers and even scientists have been investigating for a very long time. And the answer is, we don't know. But what we know is that it is part of who we are. It is part of how God created us. I think if we look across all of human history and all the various permutations of that in all the different cultures, as we look across that, we can see that every culture, at least that we know of, going back as far as we can go back, and I've been on archaeological digs and seen it, as far back as we go, people, human beings, cook their food. Why is that? Why do we do that? And scientifically, it helps. It's the starting of the digestive process. It helps us absorb what we need. But, you know, we didn't know that uh, 5,000 years ago or whatever. But we, and yet we do it. And it's the same with story. Why do we do that? I don't know. How did we, but you look back at 5,000 years ago, people were telling stories. And whether it's art on, on the inside of a cave wall or, or around the, the fire at night, the oral tradition, we human beings have always told stories. It is part of who we are. There's even a, science, a couple of scientific studies that tie it directly to our DNA. They say it's in our DNA. I'm not so sure about that. I don't know about the, the, the science of that. But what I know is it is part of us. So God instilled story into us. Jesus used, God used story. I mean, you know, the, the most popular book in the world starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a story. Wow. You know, and from that point on, we humans have responded to story. I mean, and you know it, you sit in, in church on Sunday morning and you're kind of thinking of your line, your, your mind's drifting off a little bit. But as soon as the preacher says, let me tell you a story. Ah, okay. <laughs> now I'll listen. <laughs> we, uh, we're attracted to it. And I have no idea. Neither does anybody else. But it is an, an absolute fact, just as much as we cook our food, because it's better for our bodies. We listen to stories because it helps us absorb what we need uh, in, in information. So I think that's why, why story is so powerful. I think God instilled it in us and we get to use it. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, that's why I write. Yes, I, I have things I, I really want to convey, truths that I think are important for people to hear. I write so I can hear the story. <laughs> um, a lot of authors will completely outline a book before they write it. They'll, okay, this is going to happen in chapter three, and this is going to happen in chapter 12, and then at the end, this is going to happen. I can't write like that. I start out, I put my fingers on the keyboard and see where they go. And wow. when I wrote those first words of Jotham, I had no idea who he was. I had no idea where he was going. I, I, well, I knew he was going to end up in Bethlehem at the major. I knew that. I knew what the, the target was. How we were going to get there, I didn't know. And that's the fun of writing for me, the fun of story for me, is as I'm writing, I discover the story. And things just happen as I'm typing along. And 
my family is used to hearing me scream, Jotham, why did you do that? How am I going to get you out of that mess? Okay, that I got to, okay, we keep writing. Okay, he gets out of that mess and he goes into another one. And, and that for me is so fun. I don't know how the story's going to end until I, until I write it. So uh, we are story people. Uh, and almost every human being I've met re responds to story. And I think it is a gift God gave us. It's, it's how he has made us to be. And I think that's why it communicates so well, rather than just uh, preaching straight or, or give, making a speech or whatever, just giving information. We need it wrapped in a story. Right, right. And it also allows us to identify. I mean, of course, we're reading this to our kids and even a five-year-old girl has something in common with a 10 year old boy, yep. you know, yep. and, you know, in 2021 versus the year 10 AD. I mean, there, like you said, there are connections and it allows us to identify with these characters. And we start thinking like, how would I feel if I ran into this situation? And I love that you write like that and you allow, you know, the Lord to lead you as you write. That's so cool. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. It appears that you wrote these stories so that they would be read aloud. As yes, absolutely. For us, this is a very normal thing. And maybe it's part of the, you know, homeschool movement, you know, read aloud to your kids. You know, I don't know how normal that is for other families, but we love that. I don't know. I, I thought you could just talk about that for a second about how you designed it to be read aloud, you know, rather than just one person, you know, reading it. And I, it could be, you know, I mean, it's, there would be value there too, but why did you design it that way? I don't think it was a conscious decision other than it just has to be. It has to be. This is something we parents have to do with and for our children. They have to see us uh, understanding and conveying to them how serious we take this story and how important these, these uh, truths are. And so I think from the very beginning, there's just never any question. I don't think it was a conscious decision. Was, of course, we're, we're gonna write these and I'll, I'll read them to the kids and mom will pray and we'll both lead discussion and uh, so on and so forth. And that will be a part of of our process for celebrating Christmas and making sure Christmas is about what Christmas should be about. So I, I think that's about even beyond that, I think reading aloud is terribly important. You know, I, I, I almost I shouldn't say this because there might be some out there, but it, it almost breaks my heart when I get comments from people or letters or whatever. And we've received thousands over the years from parents who who handed the book to their child and let them go read this and and the parent is still thankful for the book and you know saying thank you for this great story my kid really enjoyed it i think oh my word you missed out on so much opportunity there right. to share with your children to strengthen your own relationship with your children right. for your children to see that you're human you know we we and our family talked about you know dad messed up last night i you know i I yelled when I shouldn't or whatever. Um, they need to see us as human. And that's such an, a great way to share with them is to read with them and talk about what you're reading. Even if, it's, even if it's not a Christian book, we can have great discussions. And so we are huge fans of Read Aloud. And so I, I do think, especially, but especially for these books, it, it, that is how they are designed. They're designed to be read by a parent to a child so that you can share and, and explore these things together, these concepts. That's excellent. Well, I recommend them so highly to anyone. And I 
you know, I'll ask people, have you ever heard of Jotham's Journey? Oh, you got to get, the, you know, you've got to try these. You've got to read these books. And uh, it's like I said, it's just been such a huge blessing for my family. And we're just, I think we're just going to go back through. We've, we've done all five now. We're just going to have to, we're just going to go back through. Yeah. That's how they were designed. Uh, and that's how my kids do it with their children. You read the Jotham's journey to the six-year-old or whatever, and you go through them. Well, the next time you read Jotham's journey, they're 10 or 11 now. And it's a whole new story. It's an entirely new story. They understand the world entirely differently. Uh, which is what you know, kind of the, what I saw as the beauty of, of how they were written. Of course, they never got. My, we never had to read the the fourth one to Mark children. They were they were in college by then. But but um, that's that was the plan. Is that yeah, you can read them over and over uh, because the the kids have grown up in the meantime. Yeah, right. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about you know these books were obviously designed to coincide with Advent and to help families celebrate Advent mm-hmm. and. I love the intro. I, I was one of the intros in the books and, and maybe it's in each of the books where you talk about what Advent means and how to celebrate mm-hmm. Advent and you go into some of those details. But I wonder if you could just tie Advent to the stories for those who maybe aren't familiar with it. How do these books help families celebrate Advent and why is it so important that we you know, take Advent seriously? I think Advent is a tremendous tool for families to focus on Christmas the way we need to. Um, but we do have to recognize, you know, Advent isn't a biblical thing, neither is Lent. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about the, the 40 days before before Jesus was born or anything. Um, so it it is a, a church tradition. We, we have to recognize that. But I think it's an incredibly important one. I grew up with Advent. My we did the Advent calendar with the Bible story and everything. I have great memories of that. And I'm sure, you know, I, I can't put my finger on it, but I'm sure that that had a lot to do with me understanding the Bible the way I do. And so it, it's a tool that, that parents can use, the celebration of Advent, a tool that parents can use to get their kids pointed in the right direction for Christmas. And I think that's the power of it. And the same with, with Lent and the Lenten books pointed to the, to the story of Easter. Because it is so, and especially today, it is, it's, it's not easy to, to, to get distracted. It's hard to not get distracted these days because Christ has been evicted from Christmas in so many venues that it's very difficult out in the world to even see him anymore. It wasn't that way in, when I was a kid, but it is now, and that's a reality. And so even today, it's even more important I think that we point our kids in the right direction for these very important uh, church holidays and help them understand why these things are important, why they exist and why they're important. Keep them on track. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I love this is sort of like uh, Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb of God concert. He said, we wanted to design something where Santa Claus is not invited and I'm just, <laughs> I'm just here to yep. tell anyone who isn't familiar with your work that Santa Claus is not invited to any of these stories. He does not show up. He does not show up at the manger or anywhere right. else. Right. And, and I'll say, you know, I, we're not, we're not totally, I mean, we're not so anti-Santa that we want to go burn his, his, him in effigy or anything. But in our family, we have chosen, he's just not a part of our decorations or our language or anything. And if the kids are singing, here comes Santa Claus, you know, that's no big deal. We, we don't sure. spank them for that. <laughs> but we minimize it. And, and we say, 
and and actually we bring her out the, the true story of Santa Claus with it came from a, a very good man of God but um, we minimize that and he, he's nowhere in our decorations or anything uh, because we do want to focus make sure the kids are focused on Jesus and I think it worked Mm, <laughs> based on our grandkids i think it worked <laughs> absolutely yeah no, i love that we we think of it pretty much exactly the same way that you do that that's that's excellent okay the stories i'm so glad we had a chance to talk through all that wonderful encourage everybody to go pick up all those books um i wanted to dive in a little bit on just personally you, you talked a little bit about your family we always like to dive in and just get some wisdom from those who have raise children faithfully and who are looking back. And, and I wonder if you could just talk about, you know, a day in the life in the Itriad family, how did you <laughs> and Elsie Joe, how did you point your kids hearts towards Christ? How did you influence their character? What did that look like for you? I guess my perspective, of course, I came into it midstream. My kids were, when I met them, my kids were eight and 10, I think. So um, they were, you know, halfway there to being grown up. But I would say that that my take on it, and I, I think Elsie uh, shares this view, is that we are here to develop these little little people into healthy and spiritually minded adults. And I, I guess I'll say this: in my years in police work. And I worked four years in a hospital emergency room, all of that graveyard. I worked nothing but nights in all of that because I was single and everybody else wanted to go home to their families. Through that and through many years of youth pastoring, I developed my philosophy of parenting. And, and that is love them. Love them, love them, love them. And I totally believe, I, I go back to Ephesians, parents don't exasperate your children. Yes, they may have been wrong, but at least let them explain and let them up because discipline is not the most important thing we teach our kids. The most important things we, we teach our kids is to enjoy life, be happy you're alive and love Jesus. And that's how you be happy in, in life. Mm-hmm. We need to teach our kids that it's wonderful to be alive. And life isn't all about discipline. I, I, too often, I think, from what I see in restaurants and, and shopping malls, too often discipline is about making the parent look good. I don't want to be embarrassed by your behavior. Well, guess what? If you have a six-year-old, they're going to act like a six-year-old. And if you didn't want to deal with a six-year-old, maybe you shouldn't have had kids. I said, I say that to my, to my kids. Maybe if, if, if you're so upset about the way this, this six-year-old is acting, maybe you shouldn't have hit, well, dad, yeah, they get the point. Okay. 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 But I think uh, too often, and it's, and it's easy to do as Christians, because we see the law in the Bible, and we forget about the grace. And how many things has God had to forgive me for? How many times has he given me grace? And instead of giving the punishment I deserve, give me grace and his love and show me how beautiful life is. And I think we as parents need to do that. So that is how I approach parenting. And I don't, well, I guess we'll tell in about six generations if it worked or not. <laughs> but that's, that's at least my take. That's excellent. Yeah, I love how we read in John chapter one, how Jesus Christ was 
full of grace and truth. Yes. And of course we need to teach our kids the truth, but there's so much grace too. And I yes. love how Jesus modeled that perfectly. And it's our job to sort of model that in our parenting and, and follow Christ's example. I wonder if you could give us a challenge, like how can we as families with our kids and you know, your, your books are a great example of this, but what challenge would you give to parents as we seek to be you know, strategic in this call? Because you, know, you talked about the love and the grace that which is fantastic in the home. We also want our families to be an instrument of God's grace out in the world. So what's a challenge that you could issue to parents right now with kids in the home? They want to be on mission for the Lord. They want their kids involved. I, I don't know. What's, what's one thing you could challenge us to do? Well, it probably seems a bit trite and obvious, but I would say live the life you want your children to live. Live the life you want your children to live. If you want them to be gracious and, and outgoing and, and showing the love of Jesus to others and being generous, then you do that not just with other people, but with your kids. Mm. Uh, I, and I think, you know, and all of that, all that I've said about parenting, I think goes a lot back to my dad, not a perfect parent by any means. Our family had problems, but what, one of the things I remember most from my very, very, very young years is that sometimes my dad would come in at night or, or talk to us in the morning and he'd say, you know, kids, I'm sorry. I was a real bear last night. Um, I had something on my mind or whatever. And I, I yelled at you and I shouldn't have, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And for a kid to hear those words is a great model, I think. And I have thought about that so many times my entire life. And we kids loved our father. And I think that's why he was willing to humble himself and apologize to us when he knew that he had gone the wrong direction with in whatever he did with us. I think modeling what we want our kids to be uh, is probably a pretty good answer. Uh, do as I do, not as I say, I guess. That's right. Because they're going to. They're going to do what we do. Right. And if we're not modeling, if we're just screaming it at them, uh, they're not going to get it. Right, right. You know, it's funny. I used to have this, I think, this sort of intrinsic view of parenting that I, I've, I've got a bunch of knowledge and I'm just going to stuff it in. Yeah. try to stuff as much knowledge in as possible and then I'll test them on it. And then if they get the answers right, well, then I've done my job, you know, and yeah, exactly. teach them again. And, and <laughs> you're, you're exactly right that we have to model it. And I loved how you told the story about your, your dad modeling humility. And it's, you know, it's one thing to say, Hey, you know, we should be humble, but how much more powerful is it to demonstrate and model humility? And then of course, it reminds us of our savior who was humble to the point of death, even death on the cross, we read in Philippians. He loved us to death. And that's, right. I think, how we need to approach our children. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I have to ask, what's next? You know, those of us who are fans oh. of yours and, and we think like, when's the next one coming out? Would love to know what new stories you have. And also, if you could just, if you could tell us, I know you have other stories other than Tabitha's Travels and Jotham's Journey. Tell us about a few of those resources as well. Sure. Actually, before Ishtar, before I wrote the fourth Advent book, and I kept telling the publisher, no, I, I don't want to do another Advent book. They said, well, then how about a Lenten book? <laughs> how about a book for Easter? I said, okay. And so I thought about it and I realized, well, you know, that was 30 years later. Wouldn't it be fun if Jotham and Tabitha got married? 
And Jotham and Tabitha had a kid, a son, and his name is Amon, and he's 13 in, these, in, in this book instead of 10, because I needed him to have a little more autonomy. Um, so in uh, Amon's adventure, the, the Easter book, Amon is in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion and around that time. And, and the publisher and I really struggled with this because these books are for you know six to, to 12 year olds-ish. Um, although I get so many comments from people who say, you know, well, my, my 19 year old son calls in from college every night during Advent to listen to the story. <laughs> so I don't know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's not just six to, to 12, but talking to six year olds about Jesus being nailed to the cross. I mean, that's, how do you handle that so that it's not traumatic? And but again, you know, the Lord put a, a story in my head that tells that story, but in a way older kids understand and younger kids don't have to deal with the trauma. And parents can mediate, of course, between there. But Amon has a big adventure during uh, centered around the crucifixion of Jesus, and then, then of course the resurrection. <laughs> That's of course where we want to go, and and through the ascension and so Amon's adventures and again it's an adventure story it's it's not just a telling of a biblical story it's an adventure story intertwined with the biblical story about Easter so that came out oh I don't know 15 years ago 12 something like that well the the publisher again said we want a sequel to that we want another one of that <laughs> And I thought, well, what could that be? And I had no idea. And they couldn't come up with a story. So we never did the second book. Well, last spring, I, I retired from teaching last, uh, at the end of last spring. And I thought, well, okay, now I'm going to be writing full-time. I can go back to writing full-time because I was teaching full-time and that was a real load. And uh, so last spring, I was getting ready. I was doing my last classes and a story for a second Easter book came to my head out of nowhere, not expecting it, not looking for it, just happened. Yeah. Um, and so I said, well, I got to write this. It's in my head. I got to write it. Or it's, you know, so I started writing and so I had to see where it was going to go. I had to hear the story is going to be. And I finished writing and about almost the day I wrote the last page. The publisher who had not talked to me in years called up and said, hey, we're just wondering if you happen to be working on anything else. Just happened by coincidence. Uh-huh. And I said, as a matter of fact, yes, I just finished a second Amon book. And so they said, let's see it. They, they bought it immediately. And it's now in publication, it's being, going through the publishing process. It'll be out fall of 22, 2022. And it's called Amon's Secret. And the subtitle is, is, of it is The Church Begins. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the struggles of that church after Jesus ascended, what happened. And there's lots of mm -hmm. biblical evidence of what happened and biblical fact about what happened. But there's also a lot that's not said, and that's where I come in and, and, and use a bit of conjecture. And we talk about how the church started and all the struggles, and Amon has an adventure. Uh, he has a secret he has to keep, and, and that goes through the whole story. But, uh, but it is about the early church up to uh, Paul's conversion. So, I mean, I'm, I was so happy with the story. And, and again, not for me, but it was so fun to write. Um, but you asked about other books. I also... Actually, long before Jotham, I think I was 24 years old. I guess it was the first book I wrote was called Submarine Spy. I'll show it to you. I know the audience can't see it. Um, and it's an adventure story set in today's world and centers around two 17-year-old boys, Christians, who 
kind of like me, don't want to be bored, and they decide to build their own submarine. Well, they get into all kinds of trouble and, and adventures with terrorists and so forth. But also, all the way through it, they're struggling with, you know, with their faith. With, you know, do I really trust in God? What does that mean? Uh, does prayer really work? They're struggling with, with their faith as well as the, the adventure story. And that, I, I wrote it when I was 24, but it didn't come out until 2008. And so that's now a series, the Mike Danford series of adventure books for, I wrote it for preteen boys. But again, uh, I got a, an email, I think it was from an, a mother, oh, just a few months ago, telling me how her 19-year-old daughter <laughs> loves these stories and can't get enough. And would I please write more because she loves the Mike Danford series. And I, okay, <laughs> I guess it's not just for preteen boys, but there's a whole series of those. And I wrote a book for my wife's fourth grade class called Under My Teacher's Desk. She taught in public school, so it is not a specifically Christian book but it still has uh, some very important concepts in it, like loving other people, accepting other people, seeing value in yourself, those kinds of things under my teacher's desk. Just this summer, I started a new series. I'm saying it's for seven to 10 year old girls, but who knows? Because <laughs> one of my granddaughters came to say, grandpa, you should write a book about a girl named Daphne. And of course, as soon as she started saying that, my mind started. And so now I'm in the middle of writing the first book of a series called Daphne Dobbs Lives on the Moon. And it takes place 100 years from now. And Daphne goes out and has adventures. So I managed to keep busy. I, all these stories in my head. I, I need to live to about 304 to get all these stories out of my head. <laughs> I don't know if God will let me do that, but we'll see how far far I get. Well, uh, yeah, it almost seems like you can't help yourself. You, you've got these stories and they have, yeah. to, they have to make it out. Oh, absolutely. That's a gift that the Lord's given you. I, I, tell my, I tell my family, I have to go write until it's out of my head. I can't stop thinking about it. Once it's on paper, I can stop thinking about it. But, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's excellent. We'll look forward to that. I'm really excited about Amon's Secret. We will definitely be getting that book. And of course, we encourage anyone out there to get all of these books, like I said, been such a tremendous blessing for my family. And I know that they will be a blessing to anybody out there who reads them and you know, teaches some of these great truths to their kids. What a fantastic way to bring Advent into our rhythms, to focus on Christ during Christmas, to sort of enter into uh, you know, these stories and identify with these characters. Wow, what a blessing. Arnold Itriad, it has been such a joy to be with you today. Thank you so much for your time. And, and before we go, can you tell us where our listeners can find your books and where they can go to learn more about your ministry? That's pretty easy. I never expected to write more than one book. So our website is jothamsjourney.com. That's it. jothamsjourney.com. J-O-T-H-A-M-S journey.com. Because uh, like I said, <laughs> I thought it was just going to be one book and who knew? Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. And I, and I just love your ministry. I think this is so needed and, and can have such an impact on parents today. Thank you. And thank you for this allowing the Lord to work through you and bless so many, including our family. Yeah, it's just been a joy. Thank you so much. Thank you. How cool is that? I love getting to know the author behind such awesome stories and how they came to be. 
So definitely pick up any of those books, Jotham's Journey, Tabitha's Travels, Bartholomew's Passage, or Ishtar's Odyssey. You and your kids will absolutely love them, and they'll be a part of each Christmas celebration for you. Check us out on strategicfamilies.com. We would love to hear from you and any Advent traditions you have to share as we build a community of families seeking to be purposeful, unified, and on mission for the Lord and His kingdom. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.